0: Log Talk Radio. everyone, and welcome to a special edition of the Feuerstein's Fire American Soccer Show. As we talk about tonight, obviously, it's still going on to discuss, and, it, you know, when we discuss these types of situations involving U.S. soccer and the people who are a part of U.S. soccer, it is really shameful when everything has been coming out and all the information that has been brought out due to former players uh, upset that their children who are currently on the national team uh, should be getting special treatment and the continuing complaints, why is my son not or my daughter not getting the same amount of respect as that player is or this player has been, and then of course interfering with U.S. soccer business, and plus what has been going on throughout Little League sports uh, in this country, um, it's just been really hard to swallow when we are discussing, of course, the situation with the Reyna family and the Burhalter family. Tonight... Uh, my guests tonight to talk about this situation will be from both from World Soccer Talk. Of course, we have Kartik Krishnire and with Robert Hay. Hopefully we will have Kartik on tonight. Of course, everyone knows what's happened uh, in Fort Lauderdale uh, yesterday, a monsoon, a flood, and frogs all over Fort Lauderdale as the entire city and the airport was flooded. And unfortunately, Kartik was stuck in it and was stuck in that really badly. So hopefully we'll have Cardiff on tonight. If not, don't worry about it. We'll get him on another time. But joining me as well from World Soccer Talk, it's my good friend Robert Hay. And Robert, welcome back. Good evening. And uh, as we get ready to talk about this situation, obviously you being a parent yourself of two children, one boy, one girl, uh, I'm not sure uh, if they're at the age yet of participating. In uh, youth sports, uh, if you want to divulge, of course, uh, if you wish your ch- the age of your children, but or if they are participating or not, when when we talk about these recent years of parents acting very badly, whether it be little league baseball, um, youth soccer, uh, mites hockey, you know, youth basketball, punt pass kick NFL. When when you see these things happen, do you pray and wish you're not involved in that situation yourself?
1: <laughs> um, the short answer is yes, but I, I have a feeling you'll you'll want a longer answer to this question. Um, you know, first of all, great to be back, Daniel. I'm glad to always glad to chat with you, and uh, we certainly have an interesting one tonight. Um, you know, the the youth sports scene is. Um, I think the current youth sports scene has a bad reputation and a part of it is very deserved. And You know, I've, I've come at it from a couple of different perspectives. You know, first of all, I do have kids. They've participated in various um, youth act, uh, sports activities. I currently have a kid that's in the youth, uh, youth sports setup, at not a very high level, but, you know, still plays youth sports. And, um, you know, anybody who's known or followed me for a while knows that I used to do a podcast with Reed Malpey, who who has a great new book out. Um, that um, we talked about, you know, sports and, and, you know, youth sports and, you know, best practices for youth sports. So, you know, I've, I've been a a observer of this for a while. And, um, you know, I think that there was people that brought up the, the fact that the topic for tonight really kind of exemplifies the rot that is in youth sports today. And it's kind of hard to disagree with that from a certain level. I mean, what we're seeing in youth sports today, unfortunately, is um, this, this uh, swap or this pressure that is being put on kids to excel at an early age. I mean, we in society want people to be great from an early age. We want people to be special from an early age, and um, that trickles down to our youth sports. And so you have instances where parents, coaches, administrators, um, no matter what the sport is, are pressuring their kids constantly to excel and be great and you know i've been very fortunate with my kids that um you know the teams that they have played on the teammates they've had we have not seen too much of that but we have seen that in, in leagues and areas where we've been and played and you can tell that um pressure on kids even as young as you know five six years old to be awesome and be great and be on this path towards you know being um a national player, you know, or, or a, a star player or a travel player, it really starts from age, you know, at the earliest ages. Um, and it's just, it's sad because I think it's really rotting youth sports all around. And it leads to things like, you know, we have referee and umpire shortages in, in sports. Why? Well, because, you know, umpires, referees, and officials don't want to get out and be abused by coaches and parents nonstop because everybody thinks that, you know, their son or daughter is, you know, the greatest thing in the world and any call that goes against them is wrong and horrible and it's going to hurt their future college prospects. Um, You know, you have uh, burnout at the coaching ranks. You have lack of volunteers and sporting, you know, for sports teams. And it's all been kind of exacerbated, of course, by the past three years when we haven't been seeing people as often and, you know, sports teams haven't been practicing as often together. Um, And even though we're now getting back to the way things were in 2019, you know, there's still these lingering issues of, isolation and um, trauma that have built up in kids and in parents. And so it really brings, you know, to a, a, not everywhere, but in a lot of places, this really bad situation, this real rotten youth sports that I think really was exemplified or personified by parents, two parents in particular that we're going to talk about tonight that should know better um, and should be better as examples and, but really end up showing the worst side of youth sports, which is not, I think the norm, but we've, I think anybody that's been involved in it has seen it certainly at many different levels.
0: Very true. And, and I mean, we've seen it many, many times on new shows. Um, we've seen on, I guess, specials about how, like on ESPN, how parents have gotten way too far with assuming that their children are going to become the next Landon Donovan or the next Clint Dempsey or the next Derek Jeter. I mean, I mean, look, being a New York Yankee fan like myself, (laughs) and as you know, as well as I do in Major League Baseball, in the NHL and even in the NBA, you always have these highly touted prospects that are going to be playing at the start of their professional years in the minor leagues to hone their skills. Obviously, it's a little different with soccer that we all know. But what makes these players become big time, and I mean, the only one I can say that I have seen grow up so quickly and so fast and not only dominate as soon as he gets into the top level of the North American sports leagues. Uh, And you'll probably agree with me this. I know you're a Washington Nationals fan, uh, as me being a New York Yankee fan. I mean, I I can only go with Derek Jeter for what he did growing up so fast in the New York Yankee minor leagues and then getting his first, finally, first full season in 1996 and has excelled since and earning four to five World Series championships. I mean, to me, that personifies the delusion in my opinion robert of mm-hmm. how these parents mm-hmm. have been acting with their children because they think their child could be like derek jeter mm-hmm. well then it's an automatic they'll be great what have you seen right. from that
1: yeah yeah i i think the the way that we in society have taken players like Baseball, Derek Jeter, the Bryce Harper's of the world. You know, in soccer, it's you know, well, so let's say a Gio Reyna, you know, uh, Christian Pulisic, and, and you know, any other number of, of U.S. stars, uh, or, or even you know, other countries. Um, you know, you name the sport, and you can name these these folks that really hit it big at an earlier age than they should. But we tend to forget that these players are memorable because they're so unusual. Like you said, there's only one Derek Jeter in the world, maybe two in baseball history, but you know he stands out for a reason. There's only one Christian Pulisic in you know soccer. There's not many Christian Pulisics in soccer because he stands out. His career path, you know, as a teenager, he's in you know Germany, really excelling, contributing to a, a team that's in the Champions League, and then makes the big money move to Chelsea. I mean, that's not something you see every day. It's something that's Rarely been seen, it, you know, rarely ever. And then, and, and, you know, we see more and more players, but still even the players at the highest level that are able to follow that path, there's still not a ton, but because of the attention that's paid and the further exposure that these players go through, I mean, we'll talk about Jeter for a second. Again, you know, came up in the mid nineties where the focus on him was national and local news. Now for players that come up, you know, let's look at like a Caitlin, Clark for Iowa basketball or you know any number of these superstars what's driving their fame is not only their talent and not as much the news but their social media and online presence as well Uh, and their ability in, in certain cases to monetize that talent through endorsements sponsorships and so forth and so that just leads to the pressure and to the exposure for these these unique players and they're ever present in our life and so if you're a parent of a young athlete you know, if you're a parent of a young soccer player, you're sitting there looking, watching your kid dribble around cones at age five, and you're like, man, left left foot, right foot. Um, You watch TV and you see, you know, Christian Pulisic uh, starting for Chelsea in a Champions League match or coming off the bench, whatever. And you sit there and go, you know, I live in an area where I have a, you know, academy program that's, you know, has a big fancy name on it. You know, I have the ability to put my kid through that. You know, I'm going to start putting him through it and I'm going to, You know, my kid is just as special as these other kids because what I'm seeing them do now is something that I can see my kid doing. And a lot of times with parents, there's not the guardrails to check them and say, like, well, actually, this player is one in a million that you're seeing on TV. Your kid may be good. Your kid may be great. Your kid may end up playing, you know, badminton for fun and be happy with that. Um, But we've we've removed the guardrails that really show the special cases as being the special cases and made them so accessible, I think, that a lot of times adults, because it's not just parents, it's adults, it's coaches and administrators for these programs as well, sit there and say, and I want to take these players and make them into unique players because it benefits us. And when they don't reach that level, the burnout and the flameouts are that much more horrendous, both for the player and for the the adults around them. And I, and that just kind of exasperates. what's a bad situation because, um, it, it, you know, you hear the stories, the England national team went through this publicly, you know, the, 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 um, academy system over there, they, there's huge reporting from the, the local and receiving the national media about like these guys who were burned out at age 14, 15 playing soccer in England and the horrible, you know, traumatic effect it's had on their life. Um, that's also not the norm, but you know, there's any number of people walking around here in the United States that said, you know, I won't play this sport, I won't watch this sport because I had a horrible experience as a as a kid, you know, playing it. And so it's um, it's it, it's just we're 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 normalizing something that shouldn't be normalized, and I think that's leading to um, this continued like like I keep saying rot in the youth uh, sports system.
0: No, I agree with you there, but this is where. It's really gotten to the point where I, I can't believe that the level of stupidity, and I'm calling it stupidity, because here you have, and this is not your every Tom, Dick, and Harry, or, okay, I'll even go this far, your every Jane, Jenny, and Mindy, you know, ho-hum, oh, those are your neighbors that's a that's a uh, you know an acquaintance oh that's my boss you know that's their son that's their daughter mm-hmm. no this is former professional player in Claudio Reyna and his wife who also played the game they were you know they you know they got their son Gio who in my opinion is a very talented player deserves to be on the national team doing okay at Borussia Dortmund. But to have him acting the way he's acting, who has played this game abroad and in MLS, coming back, playing in Europe, playing with the New York Rebels in MLS to finish his career, to be a general manager for New York City FC, for Austin FC, now I know he stepped down from that position and stuff, but still though, the point is, his name is significant to Tony Miola, Tap Ramos, John Harkes, Landon Donovan, so, Brian McBride, Eddie Lewis, so on and so on and so on. And all of a sudden, he's become this monster that all of a sudden we have to be weary about now?
1: Yeah, and I, I, you know, if you read the report, and and this is also reported in the media as well, it, the, I think that the scary thing is, is that people were telling stories as far back as like, six or seven years prior. I mean, this is not one time, you know, pressure of World Cup, you know, oh, my goodness, my kid has a chance to play in the World Cup. And that's what kind of makes things snap. It's, you know, use at the at the begin you know at the very early youth level it's the pressuring coaches the pressuring referees and making sexist remarks about you know referees why can't we have you know better referees a.k.a. boys you know it, it's a it's a consistent pattern of abuse and demand of privilege and this is just a, after a basic investigation I mean you know looking at the Alston and Bird report they did speak with. A number of people, but it wasn't an in-depth investigation into the arenas themselves. But just talking to some folks about, like, what's going on here revealed some really nasty details. And I think that's the most depressing part is you can't sit there and say it's like it was the pressure of the World Cup. No, this has been, it looks like, year after year after year throughout this kid's entire career of trying to pressure people into helping this kid succeed. Or at least remove impediments to his success. And you're right, you know, as two parents who have played at the highest level, shoot, even if their careers would have ended in college, you know, playing for the programs that they they did, that's pretty darn impressive just there. But, to you know, with Claudio Reyn and his, you know, being the face of soccer and so forth, um, you really should know better. And I think that's, they should have been, or they have been exposed to probably the worst that soccer can give. And to not learn from that is very sad. You know, I think the other part of it is, is I'm sure we'll get into this later, is this idea of where was the check internally? If people knew about this kind of behavior, um, maybe they're too important to touch, like too too big to fail kind of thing. Like this couple is too important to U.S. soccer, too big a name to like, to stop them. But at some point, this kind of behavior had to have, like had someone stand up and say like, we can't let these people continue to abuse the system like they are. Uh, But that I guess never came up until they threatened the head coach of the U S men's national team. And that's, that's something that raised, you know, some eyebrows, my, my eyebrow when I was reading this report as well, it's like, where is the internal checks for U S soccer to say, no, this is enough. You're not going to abuse our officials. Like you need to step away right now. Um, And I think that's a pretty damning indictment for U S soccer in this report as well, is that there's, it's this, this old buddy system, this family system that U.S. soccer is accused of, of having, you know, if you have the same last name as someone else and you're going to get preferential hiring and so forth, this situation kind of shows that that has been the case and, and you know, still may be the case in U.S. soccer. So it's, it's a systemic failure from the top level.
0: And let me just say this, and this is where I do agree with you is that U.S. soccer has continued to fail and fail and fail the soccer public internally. They have. When you are allowing yourselves to not have safeguards when it comes to these types of situations, when you are just allowing oh, don't worry, nothing's going to happen, and then boom, something turns around, and then you're going to get tagged really badly like this. Just the way they handled the hiring of Greg Burhall to the come in, and the way they're handling it now, trying to find that successor, even though Anthony Hudson, look, I think we all know that Anthony Hudson has done a, a decent job. I, I, look, Nations League, the last two... Um, the, the last two group stage matches you had to destroy Grenada which you did 7-1 you were in for a fight against El Salvador you beat them at home 1-0 which I figured that was going to be the scoreline anyway when you are going into bigger tournaments like the Copa America next summer when you're going into the World Cup itself to host Anthony Hudson can't be there He's not a next-level manager. Now, if he finds a way to do something spectacular, then fine. Give him the job. But if you're not going to get the right players or the right people to manage this team on the international stage, you have a big problem right now. And to be honest with you, uh, Robert, I don't see the U.S. getting out, maybe barely out of the group stage in the Copa America, barely even getting out of a group stage in the World Cup as a host. Because that is the issue we're going to have here down the line. U.S. soccer, since Sunil Gulati has left uh, Soccer House in Chicago, this organization... The governing body of the sport in the United States has been a major catastrophe and a failure to lead into the next cycle for this World Cup for the men. I don't know what you'll say about the women, but uh, they're starting to show some cracks themselves. What is going on with this Federation, as it continues to show.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's it's something that I've mentioned before, and it's the lack of vision. Um, you know, it's it's a federation that is wa- has, was waging war with its women's national team as they were winning World Cups and Olympics. Um, it's a federation that um, has decided to do things like really try and centralize the youth soccer setup and, and pipelines for getting players to the senior team while, you know, excluding other regional um, clubs and soccer associations. It's an organization that it it doesn't really, you know, it has leadership. It has elected leadership. It has staff leadership. But it doesn't really hold itself accountable for its decisions and hadn't in the past. Um, And it's an organization that doesn't seem to have a clear, at least in the past few years, a clear vision for what it wants to be and what it wants its teams to be. I mean, you know, for the the women – um, obviously they are the class of the world and will be until uh, proven otherwise. I think part of the, the issue for the women's national team is um, twofold. Number one, the world is catching up as it has been for the past few years and, and Kardec has been a, a prophet in the wilderness on this one. He's been crying out that this will be the case and people are increasingly beginning to listen to him on this. But also, you know, we talk about the youth set up in, in soccer and, you know, I, I'm beginning to wonder how the women's use set up when we've had a, so many advantages over the years. Um, are we still, are we falling into the same issues that we fell into with the men's, which is, you know, too narrow pipelines, ignoring certain players because they're not playing for certain, you know, a federation approved clubs and so on and so forth. So, but they're in a much better shape than the men, I think, which is, you know, what's the goal of the men's national team. And this may sound like uh corporate business talk that people roll their eyes at, but I mean, as I've said, we've got a, a unique well, not a unique, we have a special opportunity here in 2026s where we're going to be hosting the majority of World Cup matches. You know, we're going to qualify for the World Cup no matter what happens in the next few years. Um, the Federation should be focusing its attention on the men's side on the goal of trying to win the World Cup. And I said, you know, people will, again, roll their eyes and say, well, that's crazy. The United States is not, you know, at a level of a, of a you know, of a France, Brazil, Argentina you know, these other powerhouse soccer nations. But as we've said, number one, um, we've got a great young talent pool and, you know, a great, a great talent pool in general to draw from and build a senior team from over the next three years. And number two, while it's not determinative that the host wins the World Cup, it is certainly a huge advantage, especially if you can field a competitive uh, national team. So it is not a guarantee that you will win a World Cup by hosting it for the U.S. where um, a lot of these players will be used to the travel and and there's certain things about playing in the U.S. and Mexico and Canada that these players will be used to. So um, the U.S. Soccer Federation should be taking this this opportunity and saying we're going to take advantage of this and we know that this could potentially be the best chance for us to win a World Cup for a while because I think that there's also in the – soccer fan and this idea that the U.S. is increasingly getting better and better and better, and one day we'll just be a powerhouse because we're going to get better every cycle. Well, that's not necessarily the case, and that's not how, outside of Brazil, you know, maybe one other country, it works at the national, international level. So the Federation really needs to have focused on 2026 as a goal to compete to win the World Cup and really establish the sport as a dominant player in the U.S. sports consciousness. But you don't hear that. If they are thinking that, they're saying it quietly. You don't see that in their actions. You don't see that in their public pronounce- pronouncements. They're just kind of approaching this cycle as it's just another cycle where we don't have to. But we don't have to qualify this time, and we're going to make lots of money from having these these tournaments in our you know in our borders. And I think that's the biggest fault that they're doing right now is they have not really sat there and said what do we need to do to achieve this goal for the men's side, um, you know and And that's, I think, the biggest failing at this point is we've had a few years lead on this. We knew that this was coming. So I agree. And
0: uh, that's the sad thing about it is that this this needs to be taken care of. And the Federation really has to start growing up now. I mean, you can't just assume it's all hunky-dory, you know, nothing to see here. Please disperse. No, no, there's a problem here that needs to be fixed. And, you know, what are you going to do when you have a situation? Of course, this will be my next uh, thing moving on. How do you allow a, a parent of a player on the senior side to make threats to get your head coach fired? Now, forget about. It's Greg Burhalter. He deserves it anyway. Look, that's a different situation. I want, if I feel Greg Burhalter is not doing the job tactically and results on the pitch does not, in my opinion, does not match the effort that we saw out there, whether it be through Gold Cup, World Cup qualifying, the World Cup itself, friendlies player selection for the roster, if those are the issues that we can all agree on that Greg Berhalter did not do his job, then yes, he should deserve to be sacked. But we cannot allow a parent of a player on the senior team to get into the ear of a sporting director or a general manager. At that time, it was Ernie Stewart... To tell him, oh, if you're not going to do the job, well, guess what? I'll do it for you because here's something you probably never heard of and this is what happened. And that ugly incident, 20 years later, 30 years later, whatever it was that happened in the University of North Carolina, as terrible as it is, and we obviously are not condoning that type of behavior, what did Greg Berhalter do? in that report, what did he do? He knew what he did was wrong and he sought counseling. He went to make sure that he would never do that again. And when then his girlfriend, now his wife has already said, I forgive you. You've done everything you can to do to repair the damage you've done. Why is this being brought back up now? All because you want to see your friend or now your so-called friend being fired by the U.S. Men's National Team just so that your son can get a is that right or is that wrong?
1: So um, I'll put on my, my day job hat for a second here and then say you know in, in organizations especially organizations that are um where you rely on folks that um, either volunteer or, or employees or, or so forth, people who are involved in the in the organization there's usually folks that or not usually a lot of well there're folks that are going to cause problems. they're going to be either um, malcontents or think that they know better than everyone else and so forth. And really, in the organizational structure, it's the job of the people at that level of that person or the people they report to to kind of stop them and say like this is enough so you know in this situation you had an employee of of well i mean he, he went through a number of different iterations but with uh claudia reyna you know you had um someone who was involved in management you had someone who was involved in coaching and, and so forth and a number of different positions where this behavior kept perpetuating itself and no one Either felt the responsibility or the authority to tell him to stop, and I think this is one place where the report kind of let the federation off a little bit. I understand that the, the legal team looking at this might not have felt comfortable, rec- you know, saying like you know you're at fault for not stopping this uh, because legally, I mean, they they assumed they they concluded that the federation was not legally re- reliable or re- legally liable. Excuse me, but that does not mean that morally ethically the federation is off the hook here because you know you have this person who again big name face of u.s soccer and so forth is a hard person to stop but this wasn't just ernie stewart this was brian mcbride this was a number of redacted names in the report like this was not a secret that this behavior was out there and at no point did people at least in this report Say like, hey, this has got to stop. It was all, you know, like, hey, cut it out, kind of thing, but not to the point of like, this person needs to be removed from the situation. And if that would have been the case, you know, years ago, this, this situation in 2022 might have been avoided. Um, now, it's obvious from the report that, and in, in the you know, the subsequent reporting in the media afterwards, that um, the parents of the player thought that they could make a threat and get away with it. Like it's very obvious from the statements that were given and reported that they could say, well, there was an incident. And that in 2022, 2023, that would be enough to get the coach in trouble and basically blacklisted from this job, you know, fired, not renewed, whatever, and him be a persona non grata. But the but well, I mean, first of all, the facts are being what they are, and the Berholzers were upfront about it. Um, you know, they were—they did not hide anything, uh, according to the report, um, and they, you know, talked about it openly. But then, you know, the parents again backed off and kind of hemmed and hawed, and, and they didn't think through the horrible thing that they were doing, um, and they are now living with the consequence of their. Um, uh, you know th- their actions being brought to light um i mean it's just they basically someone at some point should have stopped this. The, the, even before it got to this point where it did in 2022 with the malcontent and said like we are going to remove you from your position or the situation if this doesn't stop but the problem it seems with u.s soccer is it's a it's a chummy system at least it has been for the past few decades it's you know if you have the right last name or you do the right, you're in the right uh, setup, or you do, you play on the national team, and then you're you know, a certain position, a coach or a GM or whatever. Like, if you do certain things, you're a member of the family, the U.S. soccer family. And, um, you know, if it's not illegal, then, uh, you know, it depends on the activities, we're going to, you know, like, eh, it's fine, whatever, let it slide or just roll eyes or whatever. And I think that's, you know, we talk about the the coaching search. That was one of the big Knox and the coaching search was you had Jay involved with Greg's hiring in some way. And that, again, was brought up in the report, being on the hiring committee. Um, So U.S. soccer keeps running into this problem where it's like certain people aren't held at a level of accountability that they should have been. And in this situation, it spiraled to a point where it got really bad and it made everybody look bad and it's really hurting the Federation, it's hurting individuals, it's hurting people at an emotional, personal level. And it really should have just been addressed um, – the, the abuse of the system should have been addressed earlier on.
0: What really bothers me, Robert,
1: is that you have
0: Claudio Reyna from New Jersey, Greg Halter from New Jersey – um I'm trying to remember where Claudio Reyna is from and what town. I know Halter is from him and his brother Jay are from Tenafly, New Jersey. Um trying to remember or, not I not remember but I'm trying to see uh where Claudio is originally from in New Jersey, but both went to preparatory school in Newark. Uh from mm-hmm. Oh, he's from Livingston actually is uh Claudia Rain born in Livingston. So Livingston and Tenafly honestly not that far away from Newark. Livingston is not that far. You just have to hit uh Route twenty four to get to Interstate seventy eight and get, get towards the airport. And uh Tenafly obviously gotta hit uh the New Jersey Turnpike just so you can get to Newark once you pass the uh the Meadowlands. Mm-hmm. And um They went to uh, St. Benedict's at the preparatory school, played soccer there, Mm -hmm. and have been good friends, very good friends. We're on the same national team. We're part of the historic 2002 World Cup team that uh, went to the quarterfinals, including the 2-0 victory over Mexico in the round of 16, the 3-2 victory over uh, Portugal, the 1-1 draw against South Korea. And good buddies until this point in time. And it really bothers me because, you know, I have a friend that we've been best friends since we were three years old in the Bronx. I was at his wedding. He's at my wedding. He was my best man. Uh, His parents have always been wonderful to me. My parents have always been wonderful to him um he has two two boys they love me i love his children you know they're, they they you know we are considered brothers and there's no way in the world that i would ever intentionally sabotage my best friend for something like this. Not even like something as small as this. Or the smallest of things or whatever. I'm there for him. He's there for me. We all are there for each other. And if I would find out that someone said to me, well, you've got to double cross. I'm like, oh, hell no. No, 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 no. I would tell that person, you're out. Get away. Because there's no way. I will never... I will never, ever double-cross my best friend like that. Mm-hmm. I, I, mean, I mean, if that ever happened to me, I would be so... Why would my friend, for such a long period of time, pull something like this against me and my family? Because I would never do that to him or
1: his family. hmm The the only thing I can say is, is that having kids does something to you. Um, and, you know, when you have kids in a competitive environment, there's something inside of you that really just wants your kids to succeed and excel. Um, and it's dangerous, even more dangerous, and I'm not saying that what the rainers allegedly did or what they were told, said they did in the report, um, is normal. Um, it's not, it's very crazy abnormal, but, um, it's especially hard when you're in an environment where you know what the kid should be doing and shouldn't be doing. And I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, when I am helping my, one of my kids out in a sport, playing a sport that I know how to play the sport, even though I'm in no way a great athlete, but I know how to play the sport, you know, baseball, basketball, so on and so forth. I can tell what they need to do to improve a lot better than if they are, say, playing a sport where I know nothing about or playing an instrument or in the theater program. When they are, you know, doing something like playing an instrument or in the theater program or playing uh, hockey, which I don't know as much about in terms of development, You know, I am protective of them and I am urging them on and I want them to be the best that they can be. But there's this distance because it's like I don't know good your wrist shot is, you know, when you're playing hockey or I don't know how well your vocal range is if you're in a a singing or theater program. Whereas if I see them on the basketball court, on the soccer field, on the baseball diamond, I can tell what they're doing right and what they're doing wrong and what they need to improve. And so I imagine that if you are one of the greatest in your sport, in your country, and you see your child playing that sport, the level of protectiveness and drive for them to be great has to be through the roof. And I think the only thing that would sabotage a 30-plus year friendship to the extent that it was... um, is your kid and I, it, one of the, the there's two distressing elements about this report that really I, I think in terms of this aspect of it specifically number one the report notes that the entire World Cup the they were griping the family was griping about the Burhalter this wasn't a they this you know accelerated after the World Cup when you know Greg Burhalter said the things he did at the conference no this was the entire World Cup you know, that they were griping, complaining and, you know, basically making bail threats the entire time. So this has been percolating for a while and that's disturbing. Number two, um, at the conference where Greg Berhalter made the comments he did, you know, it's now come out that it's like he, he feels aggrieved by the conference because he said, well, these are off the record comments. These should have not been reported. This is supposed to have been off the record. Anybody in the public eye knows that there is no such thing as off the record, like, you never say something assuming that n will leave a room. Never, ever, ever, ever. So the, either he's incredibly naive, which I don't think, or he didn't think about what these comments would mean. And I think that that kind of shows that there's something about this relationship that had been fraying for a little bit. It might have been as soon as he got the job that they started fraying because of the, ex, you know, the parents you know, behavior towards any of the coaches that their son had, it might've been something else. What I'm trying to say here is this has been, it seems like the situation is, had been percolating for a bit or growing for a while in a way that the report didn't have the ability or time or or energy to get into. And I think that, you know, it's sad to see this friendship dissolve, but it didn't dissolve overnight. There was, it, it seemed like there had been a slow dissolve over time that was accelerated by, um, you know this incident, this World Cup. Again, I'm I'm not a psychologist, psychiatrist, or a paid medical professional in any way, shape, or form. This is just speculation, but um, based on my experience and what I saw in this report, it seems like this had been wearing at least for a month or more, um, and this wasn't an abrupt break. And it's very sad, but again, kids can do that to you, and not to this level. But you know, you'd have a tendency to be very protective of your children and want them to, to excel, and if that's taken to the extreme, then things get very extreme like he did in this situation
0: oh it really did and let me just say this robert uh, i'm not there i mean you know Burhalter is not blameless in this either because of what you mm-hmm. just said about that conference that he had he you know look what, what, when people what, when you are the head coach of the u.s men's national team and or, or even a professional club coach uh, and you're trying to nip in the bud a problem that's festering inside the locker room, no matter where you are, you know, home stadium, visiting stadium, tournament stadium, whatever. If you're seeing a problem and you want to fix that problem, then go fix the problem, which is what Verhalter mm-hmm. did. But he had no right to be sneaky about it at that conference, nor try to make a hint. Of- I think you might know what I'm going to say, but I'm going to take his name out so you're not sure that I'm going to say his name. Everyone knew he was talking about. Everyone knows this. Mm -hmm. You're in a conference. You're talking to people. Mm -hmm. People want to know what you're saying. They're going to record what you're saying so that they can follow along what your teachings of what you're trying to do to lead young men into a professional game As highly potent as the World Cup is, and when I say that, I'm saying it in a nice way, because we all know what the World Cup is. It is the grandest stage of all stages of soccer games on the international level. This is not the Gold Cup. This is not the European Cup. This is not the Copa America or the Asian Cup, or the African Cup, or the Oceania Cup. This is the World Cup. You need to be on your game the entire 90 minutes and dominate the opposition to advance to the next game. That is what Mm -hmm. your goal is. And what he did in that conference was the wrong, immature thing to do because this is not high school. And this is where it really burns me up, Robert. We are Mm -hmm. supposed to be adults here. Regardless of the position that you're in, whether it be chief executive officer, president, COO, C, I am the baddest man or the baddest woman on the planet, does not matter. You have a job to do. You need to oversee that job with the best of your abilities and if, you know, you have a problem that you need to fix, well, then you need to fix it and don't be an ass two weeks later, a month later, to bring back that issue again. Mm-hmm. Because everyone thought it was over. Got taken mm-hmm. care of? Great. Move forward. Okay, we got eliminated from the World Cup. Oh, by the way, Greg, can you come and talk? I'll get this symposium uh, for us, please. We'd like your thoughts on, uh, you know, what you uh, are thinking of uh, when you're leading these young players uh, in one of the greatest soccer tournaments in the entire world. Great. By the way, uh, here's my problem I had with this guy. Uh, I'm not going to say his name, but I'm going to nudge, nudge, wink, wink, and hint, hint on this. Oh, you're talking about Geo, aren't you? No, I never said that. Wait, are you recording this? Yeah. Yeah, I'm recording this. You're out in public. I mean, come on now. This is ridiculous this is this is stupidity one oh one
1: mhm well, you know th- we know that there are certain managers in soccer that can get away with calling out players publicly and and you know there but th- it takes a certain type of manager and a certain type of player to do this, and you know we could go through the the current list of managers and, and some throughout history and say like this person if this person would have done this you know, if if Alex Ferguson would have gone to a conference and said, you know, so-and-so, I won't name names, but so-and-so, wink-wink, was a problem in the locker room, but we dealt with it. We know that it wouldn't blow up on him because, A, he's secure in in his state of the game, and, B, the player he would have named most likely would have heard that and gone, yeah, I was a jerk, Um, we fixed it, we're all good. He would probably have not called out a player at this point that, is still a little raw from the situation and the whole thing would have blown up. Um, you know, it, it, it's, I don't know for sure, obviously. I wasn't there. I'm not in his mind. But it almost seems like a little bit of hubris going to, you know, getting invited to a conference with CEOs of major companies and, and you know, leaders in business and titans and, of industry and, you know, have, saying, hey, can you talk about leadership? Well, I mean, you're the head coach of the U.S. men's national team. You're invited to this corporate conference about leadership. Yeah, I mean, that's got to go to your head. And it's almost like it was a, a weakness, a moment of weakness of like, I am hanging with, I'm now being considered a peer with these big wigs and I'm going to you know, show my leadership skills here and talk about my leadership skills. When, when it was handled at the time, it could have been handled better during the world cup. I mean, obviously stuff came out, but for the most part, it was handled. Okay. You know, sink the U S and the world cup. So like you said, to, to have this come out afterwards, um, doesn't justify what happens next, but it certainly wasn't the right move and it wasn't the right play. Um, and it's it's one of the things where I, I think that this report is going a long way towards, you know, besides the the ugly incident which shouldn't have happened and he's apologized for and done uh, penance for. Um, it's it's. His reactions and his actions since have this is reports putting him in the good light here, like he is a victim of bad soccer, par- you know, bad parents, like the, a vendetta against him for what he did to someone. Which, by the way, was probably the right way to handle the situation, so on and so forth. Um, so the the you could look at this situation now. You could look at Greg Berhalter, you know, standing now and say like, yeah, he did something horrible. But right now, he's in better shape for a new job or for this job than he was a year ago, six months ago. But stuff like, you know, this conference is what raises my concerns about, again, a special cycle in 2026. This kind of faux pas, and we all make faux pas, but, you know, he could have let this go to bed. This could have simmered quietly. You know, he could have not have thrust himself back in the the light of, like, being – the media saying, like, hey, Greg is calling out one of his players. Like, he could not have – he should have just skipped that and been better off for it, but for whatever reason decided to. And I think that's a, a worrying mistake that he should have known better, and that kind of worries me for what happens next with him is – I mean, hopefully he learns from it, but that's the kind of mistake that worries me about him as a U.S. men's national team coach.
0: Yep, I agree with you there, Robert. I mean this is the stuff that uh, sadly uh, sabotages his hope and his dream of trying to uh, continue on with U.S. soccer. I just think that uh, what he has done uh, is inevitable and it's just not feasible now to have him return to U.S. soccer. I, I, and, and you know what it is? Uh, you know, U.S. Soccer is going to have to understand, even if there is a hint of, let's bring back Greg out of good graces. Look, he's sorry this happened. You know, this will never happen again. We have his word. This will never happen. This and that. That's not going to fly. That's not going to fly with the players because he, you know, he brought back an issue that was already squashed. The the, the fan base will not accept this, and he has, in my opinion, uh, burned the bridge tremendously. And you also have to wonder, whatever names are out there that they want to give the job to, whether it be someone old or someone new, or a name that we're all familiar with, but will they accept the job? And that's my fear right now, Robert. Will Mm -hmm. anyone accept the job to become the head coach of the U.S. men's national team after everything that went down? And forget about sporting director forget about general manager of the u.s men's national team because i think there's i think general manager of the u.s men's national team is really a a um just a poor excuse of a position that doesn't deserve to be even created for u.s soccer mm-hmm. if you have the sporting director he is the one along with the head coach that gets together to make sure that the roster that they're going to assemble to play these friendlies are the is the roster that should be considered Excuse me, let me just say this. Those are the only two men that should be worrying about the roster for upcoming friendlies, tournaments, whatever have you, for this U.S. men's national team. Because I'm telling you this right now, until there is real change inside Soccer House in Chicago, don't expect Jesse Marsh to be there. Don't even if Peter Vermees is sacked by Sporting Kansas City one day, don't expect him to be there. Mm-hmm. Jim Curtin, I, I mean, I, I mean, I don't know what's in Jim's head. If he wants to leave the union and go to US Soccer now, but if he says no, we know why. The shenanigans inside US Soccer is a travesty a major travesty that should never have happened in the first place. And, mm-hmm. it's, and it's damning. Because if you're not going to get, you know, you're not getting as a Dane. I know a long time ago, Jose Mourinho said, one day I'd love to manage the U.S. men's national team. No, that, 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 that's a lie. He's not going to be here. He's not going to come. He's not coming here because he wants to control the whole situation. They won't relent. We know mm-hmm. they won't relent. He'd rather manage right. Portugal or, or England than come across the U.S. to be here. Mm-hmm. You know, any of the great uh, Spanish or South American managers want to give us a crack? No, it's not going to happen. Not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Because we are a dysfunctional mess. And when there is dysfunction, the best of the best will not be coming over.
1: Yeah, I, I think, you know, a couple of things. Number one, I, I'm not as confident as you are that Greg Berhalter's out as a candidate for the, the, the job. I mean, you know, he was spotted a couple of weeks ago at the, what, Fulham Arsenal match. I'm I'm pretty sure he's not getting hired as Arsenal's manager. I'm pretty sure Fulham has not hired him or has offered him a job. So what other reason would you go to have, to watch a match where there's two or three U.S. You know, internationals playing and sit in a box? Um Except to scout vacation the US national team. Yeah. Well, maybe it's just, but I don't believe in coincidences. He probably could have gone to see another match, but maybe not. Maybe it is vacation, but you know, I still think that he's a, a candidate. I think you brought up, you know, that the fact that this is a, his incident in 92 is an ugly incident and it's a, it's hard to comfortably sit there and hire someone once you know that this happens. Um, is that fair or not i'm not going to talk about that but i will say that this is something that would come up and this is something that would impact the hiring that said i still think that at this point he's a candidate he still has uh it's it's you know it seems like the same people that hired him in the first place were his supporters in the first place are still around still influential um i think he's still a possibility and whether that's a good idea or not i don't think so i think that he needs to move on Um, and I think they need to move on for him, but I I wouldn't be shocked if he was hired this summer. Now, is the U.S. job a a great job? In one sense, yes. You've got three years to prepare your side for the World Cup. You're hosting the World Cup again. You've got some advantages players that, um, you know, any manager would love to coach, even at the international level. Um, You've got tons of resources in the U.S. to work with. Um, so it's not a hardship job, but as you pointed out, you have a federation that is, uh, impotent. Um, it's hemorrhaging money. By the way, this report from Austin and bird, that's not cheap to do a, a law firm, have a law firm like them come in and do this work. It needs to be done. Right. It needs to be done with some high profile people. And that ain't cheap. That's not even including, you know, payouts to the women's team and all these other lawsuits that they're dealing with. So there's, you know, may not be, they're not may not be poor, but there's certainly a money issue there. Um, there's the the ineptitude, you know, the ineptitude at certain positions in the um, leadership. And I'm not as concerned about the rain as at this point. I think that they've been trashed pretty good. That they're not going to be able to. They themselves are not going to be able to up. The parents aren't going to be able to up that the new manager. But is there other examples of people like them in the Federation? Are there other stars other parents other influentials that basically have the ability to muck up the system and are those people going to be able to screw with a new manager's plans or harass the new manager or complain if their son their loved one or whatever doesn't get playing time um and so i think you're right i think the federation being what it is today is its biggest impediment this job should be a prime job and one that they should be able to go out and get any number of really good candidates to interview with and have their pick of the right person to achieve their goals. But I think at this point, at least from what we've seen publicly, the Federation isn't in a position to make a good hire or a smart hire or to really fund it, and that's what concerns me. So I think that um, ultimately they'll come up with a good name, a big name. Again, it could be Greg Berhalter. I wouldn't be surprised, but it could be someone else with a big name. But I'm not confident at this point that the process will be the right one to bring in the, the managers that they need to, to get the job done in 2026.
0: Mm, I agree with you. I think that's the big issue we have right now. I, I, I just don't think um, they're going to be doing it discreetly. I don't think they're going to be doing uh, the right thing. I mean, if I, like I, I I agree with you. I, I wouldn't be shocked if it is Berhalter coming back. He shouldn't. He shouldn't be coming back, but he might be. Because if U.S. Soccer is going to go nowhere else, it's either you stick with Anthony Hudson and make him the full-time coach, or you just go back uh, to the guy that uh, sadly just couldn't help himself to nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Yeah, I'm talking about Gio, but I'm not really talking about Gio. <laughs> oh, what fun and what joy we have tonight. Um, I guess Robert – Final thoughts on this issue tonight as we talk about this uh, problem that's still going on because it's still going to be Anthony Hudson in that friendly against Mexico on Wednesday night, uh, April 19th at the uh, State Farm Arena, uh, State Farm Field in Glendale, Arizona.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I wish Anthony Hudson the best. I hope that he's going to be able to use these games and matches to really um add to a nice you know coaching resume and get himself a nice job somewhere else you know closing thoughts are this is a problem that u.s soccer brought upon itself um there was any number of steps throughout the years that they could have avoided um, these kinds of this kind of situation um and really um set themselves up better for uh, the 26 26 world cup cycle they did not do that they're living with those sins now um, my hope is that they can adjust course quickly but um I'm concerned that they can't, and they've now, they're now stuck in a, uh, uh, a situation of their own doing where we're going to underachieve over the next few years simply because they didn't get their act together. But I've been proven wrong before, and I hope that's the case this time.
0: And my final thought is this. Instead of getting a parent involved in this, and I'm talking about a real adult to be in the room over this, um, U.S. Soccer basically allowed – A babysitter to be overwhelmed with the amount of egos in the room and could not handle the said problem, and it it completely exploded in their face. We need real adults here, Robert. We really need real adults in the room, and we don't have that. And until we do get real adults in the room to end these shenanigans… This program, men and women and youth, will never succeed and will never win a Men's World Cup. And our women who have been dominant in the women's game, they're going to lose that dominance whether they want to hear it or not because it's going to be over one day soon. Because one day our women will be taken over by other Women's national teams across the world. Because a long time ago, the only nations you worried about were China and Norway. Not so anymore. Everybody on the women's side of this game is catching up. And you know what? I'm glad that it is. But it's still a shame that it looks like the cracks are getting bigger and bigger when it comes to our national teams. And that's the shame of it. I want to thank my guest tonight, Robert Hay, of World Soccer Talk, joining me. And uh, unfortunately, Carter Krishnar cannot join us tonight. And once again, the the terrible rainstorms have been playing havoc uh, down there. We're talking biblical proportions of flooding in the Fort Lauderdale, South Florida area. So believe me, I've seen the pictures. I know you've seen the pictures. It's not that good at all. And hopefully Clark will be fine, and uh, we'll have him back on at another time. But uh, for Robert Hay, I'm Daniel Feuerstein. Thank you for listening to the Feuerstein Fire American Soccer Show tonight. Join me tomorrow night, CONCACAF Champions League quarterfinals, second leg review show, same time, same channel. Thank you very much for joining us tonight. Take care. So long. And bye-bye for now.